All right, church, I'd like for you to take your copy of God's Word, turn over to the to the Old Testament, to the 23rd Psalm. Hopefully you have uh, bookmarked uh, or put your bulletin from last week there. We're going to camp out in the 23rd Psalm for just a little while. But before we get started this morning, our, our normal uh, sound guy, Mr. West, he wasn't here this morning, so just kind of, I'm not a sound guy per se, but trying to fill in his shoes. And as I stood in the back of the room this morning, I thought about there are many of you here today who weren't here when I came back in March. There are many of you who weren't here maybe last month or the month before that. And so I just want to commend our our folks here at Bethel. Thank you. Thank you for doing and living out what Scripture tells us to do. Peter and John, as as we see in the book of Acts, Acts 4.20, they they give us an all-important picture an example of what what we're to do. And they said, for we cannot but speak of what we've seen and heard. The reason some of you are here this morning is because someone else can't help but speak of what they've seen and heard God do. It's not what I do. It's not what Austin does, not what our praise team does. But what is God doing? We need to be about sharing that. Amen? I want to ask you as we dive into the 23rd Psalm, and some of you may know it, may be able to quote it verbatim, but one of the things that I have learned over time is sometimes we can become too familiar with something, right? We just read it and we think we know it, and so we need to slow down. And so I want to ask you this morning this question. How many of you in here don't have to show, no show of hands, but I just want to, I'm curious in my, in my heart. How many of you here this morning would say that you feel scattered? That, that, that your heart, that your soul, that it's just scattered, that you find yourself coming and going, meeting yourself coming and going? Maybe you're broken. Maybe you're hurting. I pray today's message would encourage you. As we looked at verse 1, kind of one of the nuggets that we had from that week was this. It's one thing to know Scripture. It's another thing to know the Savior. As you see from the 23rd Psalm, you see the personal pronouns, my, me. He's a personal Savior. As we see here, and one reason I wanted to take a slower look at the 23rd Psalm is because we see David as a shepherd talking about the great shepherd, but he also knew how to be a sheep. He knew how to follow. And I think one of the things that we need to learn is that we too need to learn how to follow. We're, we're going to be asked to lead certain people in, in our families or a small group or whatever in our lives, but we have to learn to follow first and foremost. And so over and over again, as you read this psalm, it's one thing to know the scripture, it's another thing to know the Savior. Last week, as we looked at verse 2, we talked about that if fear, if we allow it, will keep us from following Jesus, right? It will keep us from doing and accomplishing God's will. And so what do we do with fear? Well, we have to acknowledge it, and we have to give it back to the Lord. That's what we're to do. And so this morning, let's look at verse 3. David pens these words. He says, he restores my soul. And he leads me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. The the first observation that I want you to see in the text is this. He says, my soul. 
my soul. And so one of the first questions that we have to ask is we have to step back and say, what is it? What is the soul? As I began to just kind of ponder that and to think about the soul, I thought about a book that I had read a few years ago called How's Your Soul by Judah Smith. He, he, the, the subtitle of that book is Why Everything That Matters Starts Inside of You. And so I want to start w- with something that he reminded you, and I want to remind you this morning as we talk about our souls. Look at what Smith says. He says, the term is notoriously hard to define. Let's just stop right there. What a great reminder. It's hard to define. Why? Because how can we quantify and categorize something that is invisible, subjective, and untestable? We can't see our souls, so we tend to have trouble even describing them, much less actively caring for them. Why are we taking a slow look at Psalm 23? Because we need to take a look at our souls. We need to take a look at what is on in the inside of us. Merriam-Webster, my good friend that is always nearby as I'm studying Scripture and, and I'm trying to just wrap my head around things, Merriam-Webster defines the soul as this. It is the spiritual part of a person that is believed to give life to the body and in many religions is believed to live forever. I would submit to you this morning that Christianity, as a Christian, as a Bible-believing church, we believe that the soul will live forever. Now, it's going to live forever in one of two places, because there is, regardless of whether or not the world wants to believe it or not, there is a literal hell, and there is a literal heaven. As you look through Scripture, Jesus speaks more of hell than he does of heaven. He says he's gone to prepare a place for you, right? That's in heaven, but we have to make a decision. And as we think this morning about the 23rd Psalm, it is written to the Christian. And one of the men that I was reading, he's like, it's to the mature Christian. No, friends, I would stay, I would step uh, further back and submit to you, it's for the maturing Christians, that we should be maturing in our walk with Christ. And if we want to do that, then we need to study the 23rd Psalm. We need to study Scripture and to see how we're to live that out. A soul is also a person's total self. It is the moral and emotional nature of human beings. And last, this was kind of a zinger for me. It is the ability of a person to feel kindness and sympathy for others. Do you think that we have a soul problem in our world today? We do. Let something tragic happen in our society, be it a fight or there was a headline this week about a, um, someone was uh, sexually assaulted and instead of helping that person, hey, ooh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to record this, I'm going to be the next you know, TikTok sensation, I'm going to be on the news, I'm going to get my 15 minutes of fame, I, I, I'd rather record it than to help. Do you think we have a soul problem in the world today? Yes. It starts in our souls. Billy Graham once said that it is the soul that is part of us which can know God and have communion with him. 
See, that makes us different from any of the other mammals because we have a soul. We were created in the image of God to commune, to have a relationship with him. And it's there in our souls that we can connect with him. There's a little three-letter word, S-I-N. And what is at the middle of that word? I. Think about most sins that you have or you know of, anything that you want to consider a sin. What is at the center of that? I. It's what I want. It's what I feel like I need. This is the best thing for me. I don't care about anything else. I. I, I, I. Our soul is a part of us which can know God and have communion with him. So we talked about what Marion Webster said. We talked about what Billy Graham has said. But what does the word of God say about our souls? David went on to say in Psalm 103, verse 1, he said, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. The key here is this, all that is within me. Our soul, that, that our being is what is on the inside. And so we need to take a look at our souls. As I mentioned this morning, and I ask you, there are some of you here this morning that you're scattered, that you're broken. And I would submit to you, whether we want to admit it or not, that some of you here this morning have been broken more times than you can count. But can I remind you that that brokenness doesn't just go away? Those broken and scattered pieces don't just disappear. They need to be mended. They need to be healed. And how does that happen? Judah Smith, he concludes this, that my soul is the center of who I am. It is the inner me, the real me, the invisible me that transcends the physical me, the part of me that in some sense will live eternally in heaven. That is, if you are a believer. If you're not, there's a lake of fire, there's judgment, there's torment, there's separation from God in a literal hell. As we think about the soul this morning, I want to I remind you of this. This is what Judah Smith went on to say. He says, because no matter who we are, and no matter how long or how well we've been navigating life, there will be times when our souls find themselves in dark places, times when we doubt our internal stability, and when we wonder if we are really okay. That reminds me of the saying that you're either in a storm, you're coming out of one, or you're going to be heading into one. Some of you this morning, man, whew, praise God, that storm is behind you. Amen? Some of you this morning are in the midst of a storm. Some of you are headed for a storm. Can I remind you this morning that we don't prepare for the storm in the storm. We have to get prepared ahead of time. Prepare now 
for the storm that's coming. So as we think about our stability, as we think about navigating life, that leads us to our next point in verse 3. He restores my soul. Friends, there is restoration. We live, as, as I've had a conversation recently, we, we, we don't live in a world of second chances anymore. They will crucify you faster than they crucified Jesus on social media. They will brand you. They will, you know, share all your business. But there's no redemption. Right? I believe, as a believer in Christ Jesus, as a blood-bought believer, a man for whom Christ died, that there's restoration, that there's healing that can happen. You know, the scariest thing is we prepare for Halloween. It's not some mask or costume you may put on, but the scariest thing this Halloween is running into the person that you could have been before Jesus saved you. Right? Think about the road and the path that you were on. This morning, if you've been following Jesus, I hope that you're on a different path and that you, 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 there's new fruit and there's things in your life. But he restores my soul. This week, as I was studying, I simply just wrote this in my notes. Our souls are fragmented and they need to be restored. Our souls are scattered and they need to be restored. So then that leads us to the question. See, this is what we're supposed to do. How many of you remember in English class the who, what, when, where, why, and how? Y'all remember that? Who, what, when, where, why, and how? Use those questions as you study Scripture. Ask those questions back to God and allow Him to take you on the adventure of studying His Word. It is, it is a treasure trove, amen? I mean, you sit down and you read. We're, we're just, we haven't even made it through part of a one verse. I mean, it's rich. It's living water. It, it refreshes our souls. So the question we have to ask now is, how does the Lord restore our souls? I'd submit to you first and foremost that it is a process. There's, there's a thing called, a little thing called sanctification. That, we're, that, that as we follow Jesus, that we're being made more and more in his image. It's a process. So as we think about our, our souls, as we think about those pieces within us being restored, it's a process. It takes time. Secondly, we have to be open. Hold on to that word open. We have to be open and willing to be led. Look back with me at verse 2. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. It is there in those green pastures, it is there by those still waters that he restores us. He allows us to lay down in those places that we did not prepare those green pastures so that we may be nourished. They may nourish our bodies. They may nourish our souls. It is there by the still waters that he leads us because as sheep, now there's this correlation between sheep, physical animal sheep in, in the word as we're reading, but we're also called what? The sheep. And he is the shepherd. And so we are not going to go by rushing waters, but we need that stillness in our lives. Just, just like the psalmist says, be still and know that I'm God. Why is that important? Because most of the time, most often God speaks 
and the whisper. Right? Yeah, if he really wants to get your attention, then yeah, he might send bam, there it is. But it's most often that still small voice of the Lord is found in a whisper. So as I began to think about restoration and what it means to be restored, and I'm trying to process this, I want to ask y'all, who remembers these? Anybody remember those? Now, that's not me, but it could have been me. Now, if, if you have one of these still at your house, it's probably sitting in the corner collecting dust. It's a big, huge paperweight. Or it's probably found its way to the landfill. But listen, for all of our younger folks, look, look, look. Before we had these, we had this big dinosaur right here. And as I began to think about our souls, and he restores our souls. You know what I began to think about? I began to think about a program called a disc defragmenter. Y'all remember this? A disc defragmenter. Are you saying, though, Pastor Chris, I didn't come to, to get a computer lesson this morning. No, I know you didn't. But I want to help you see, for some of you here, you can understand the correlation of what we're trying to do. Why does this matter? Well, here's why it matters. Listen, fragmentation, when things are fragmented, it makes your hard disk do extra work that can slow down your computer. And here's something interesting from Windows.com. The disk defragmenter rearranges fragmented data so that your disk and drives can work more efficiently. It runs on a schedule, but you can also analyze and defragment your disk and drives manually. Now, now, I hope you're still tracking with me. You didn't go to sleep. Maybe I need to clap or yell really loud to wake you up. But listen, it runs on a schedule. There are some of you here this morning that if all your walk with Christ is coming to church at 1105 and sitting in a service for one hour a week. Can God restore your soul? Hmm. A smidge. It's better than most people. But the thing I see here, and I'm reminded as I read that about this defragmentation, is it is on a schedule. See, as believers, we need to have spiritual disciplines in our lives. You may remember that one series I did right after I got here was a series about going deeper, that we need to go deeper in our prayer life, in our Bible study, in our finding community with other believers, in our giving, in our serving, right? Those are spiritual disciplines. And so I invite you as we talk today about this restoration of our soul, you, you've got to just sit down and just like this program, the way we got to that program is we had to go on the computer and we had to open it up and we had to find it and we had to click open. And so maybe for some of you this morning, you need to get before the Lord sometime this week and you need to open his word. If you don't know where to start, go to Proverbs. Today's the 24th day. Read Proverbs 24. If you don't know where else to go, maybe open up and go to Psalms and read Psalm 1. Next day, read Psalm 2. The Proverbs deal. There's 31 Psalms. How many days are there typically in a month? 
30, 31, 28 sometimes. You pick the day of the month that you're on, you go read that proverb. It's a great next step. So some of you may need to open your word of God. You may need to get before him and you may need to simply pray, Lord, open my heart and open my mind. Lord, take the brokenness that is within me and heal it. Put it back together. Lord, help me to see you more clearly. Help me to understand your word, to to live it out, to trust you more. If I could, really quickly, this last illustration on this whole disc defragmenter, this illustration here kind of illustrates what happens on a computer. And, And I'd submit to you this morning, this block on the left, each of those colors represent data. And so for us this morning, we're talking about being believers in Christ. So each of these colors might be your relationship with your spouse. It might be the relationship with your parents. It might be your work environment. It might be your marriage in general. It might be your hobbies. It might be the other things that you do in your life. And you might be like me, and those colors might be all over the place. But when we get before the Lord and we seek him and we ask him to open our hearts and our minds, what does he do? He begins to bring them back together. He begins to bring, group those things. He he does what? The psalmist says he restores my soul. That's what it looks like, friends, is we have to get before him and allow him to restore our soul. Let's look back at verse 3. He restores my soul and he leads me in paths of righteousness. Again, we see it already in the 23rd Psalm that he is leading us. Friends, we need to learn how to follow. But the key that I wrote down in my notes about this is that he's guiding us. He he goes before us and he's leading the way. As we talked about this morning, look, look, look. Those questions that we ask at the beginning of the service, a lot of times they can correlate with the message somehow. And what did we talk about? That God made him who knew no sin to be sin so that we might be made whole, that we might be made righteous. Hey, listen, if you come this morning and you're hurting, you're angry, you're lonely, you're tired, you're out, you feel like you're an outcast, that you're downcast, that nobody loves you, that people have turned their back on you, guess what? Jesus knows every single one of those because he came in the form of a manger. He was born in flesh. He walked this earth, and he knows all of that. He knows pain, agony, people spitting on him, people turning his back, people walking away from him, people talking bad about him. People, they crucified him. They literally, and this is the thing about Easter, when they crucified Christ with that cat of nine tails, it wasn't just that he went through some little old beating. That cat of nine tails wrapped around him, and as they ripped it back, it literally ripped the flesh off of his body to where you could see his bones. He loved you that much that he went to die for you. So this morning, if you come here, and you're in that rocky place, and you're broken, and you're shattered, and you're fragmented, friends, I want to tell you look to Jesus. He restores our souls. He leads us in paths of righteousness. What was interesting is I've never had sheep. Uh, hard enough to have a dog and a cat. Good Lord. Man, I'll tell you some stories. And things, the cat especially likes to run out of the house. I don't know what that says about our house. I guess maybe I should try to run away sometimes too. But anyway, 
animals are interesting. But as I read about this, I leaned, in, I leaned into Philip Keller's work, and he had sheep, and he was in Africa, if I'm not mistaken, for like eight years. So I've been leaning into his writings that he wrote. Listen to what he had to say. Part of the deal is of leading and paths of righteousness is that those sheep would go out and they would lie down, and as they would lie down their body, the center of gravity would shift, right? So as they would lay down, their center of gravity would shift, and they would basically become stuck. They couldn't get up, and the longer they stayed down, then the blood wouldn't flow to their legs. They couldn't stand back up. They were there. They became susceptible to prey. And so what does Jesus tell us in the New Testament? There were 99. He left the 99 to do what? Go find that one just like this. And the shepherd, the shepherd would have to go out and look for the sheep. And when he found them, he would have to lift them back up. The other things that those sheep would do is they would stay there and they would eat and they would graze and they would go through these places and go through these paths and they would create deep ruts. So much so that if they stayed there without moving, then the land would become barren. The land would become barren and it would be of no use. And so why do I share that? I share that because as we think about sheep and we think about their natural tendency, what's the natural tendency of sheep? Now we're talking about animals, but hey, we're talking about some of y'all too. Ha <laughs> ha. All right, look. All right, Philip Keller. Just as sheep will blindly, habitually, stupidly follow one another, along the same little trails until they become ruts that erode into gigantic gullies, so we humans cling to the same habits that we've seen ruin others' lives. Hmm. Man, we could stay there a little longer. We're going to press on. Keller went, to, went on to say this. The stupid, sorry, the stubborn, self-willed, proud, self-sufficient, hmm, okay, uh, sheep that persist in pursuing its old past and grazing on its old polluted ground will end up a bag of bones on ruined land. How does that affect us today? Here's what I want to tell you. There's some of y'all that have been doing the same thing week in and week out, and that's part of your spiritual exercise. That's part of that path that you've been on, and some of y'all are in a rut. Some of y'all have been trying to feed off the same land for a long time. Maybe God, as we see in Scripture, as we break this down a little bit, what did they have to do? They fed, they were there, they got nourished, but then they had to move on. They had to move into other areas. And so the thing that I want to submit to you this morning is maybe you have to be like my friend, Miss Liz, who one time at this church we were at, we were getting ready to start a small group. And I'll never forget, she wrote on her Connect card, she said, Pastor, she said, pray for me. She said, I'm in our weekly prayer meeting, but I feel like I'm supposed to step in this women's group for a season. Praise the Lord. I prayed, she prayed, and she stepped into that. You see, you can't keep doing the same thing expecting different results. That's the definition of insanity. As we see with these people, as we see with the sheep, that if they're there and they're grazing off the same thing and they're going through the same pattern, sometimes you just need to move slightly. Maybe you've been serving in one area here at the church and maybe you need to change and say, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do something else. I'm going to hold a door or I'm going to hand out bulletins or I'm going to do this. Whatever it is, I want you to think about that because that says a lot about us, but it also says a lot about us as a church. 
Amen? If we want to be a church of flame for God, then we have to be willing to step outside of our comfort zone to do what he's calling us to do because why fear can paralyze us and keep us from doing God's will. All right, let's press on. So why does he restore us and why does he lead us? Look back at verse 3. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. For his namesake. It's for his glory. One church we were at, their life verse for the church was in Colossians that said that in all things he might have preeminence. The thing, so I, I want to ask you this morning at Bethel, is what we're doing at Bethel for God's glory? Is it to bring glory and honor to God? Because if not, then we better stop and do what does. Amen? And as I think about glory, as I think about God's glory, there's this book that I picked up. It's called Brothers. We're not professionals. It's written to pastors. The subtitle is A Plea to Pastors for Radical Ministry. As I think about God's glory, because this is in essence what it's saying, for his namesake, it's for his glory. I'll never forget this chapter. It was chapter 2. I went and found the book this week. Look at what John Piper has to say about God's glory. Before I read this, y'all ever read something like Oswald Chambers or some other author, and you read it and you're like, what? Like, what did that say? I don't get it. I had to read and reread this chapter, but this is something that stood out to me. Many people are willing to be God-centered as long as they feel that God is man-centered. It is a subtle danger. We may think we are centering our lives on God when we are really making him a means to self-esteem. But he didn't stop there. Look at what Piper went on to say. Over against this danger, I urge you, brothers... I urge you to ponder the implication, brothers, that God loves his glory more than he loves us, and this is the foundation of his love for us. It is all for God's glory. Sometimes you may even hear me pray that. Lord, may you receive all the glory and the honor for what's said and done in this place. It is not about Chris. It is not about Austin. It is not about this platform. It is not about this pulpit. It is about Almighty God. It is about turning our our attention from ourselves and looking to Him. The Psalmist 121, verse 1 and 2 says, I do what? I lift my eyes into the hills. Where does my help come from? It comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. We got some visitors here this morning. Maybe if you hear nothing else I've said during this message, keep looking up. He is where your help will come from. He is the maker of heaven and earth, and he will see you through. Let me circle back as we begin to close this morning as we think about this passage. He restores my soul. He leads me, guides me in paths of righteousness for his, his namesake. I want to circle back to something I shared, I think, last week. We talked about Jeremiah 17, verse 9. Now, let me just tell you about that real quick. I had a friend of mine, Jeremy Touchstone. I I shared what was on my heart to a group of youth pastors, and I told them this is why we can't grow in this town and accomplish anything for the Lord because you knuckleheads won't get off your bottoms unless do something, right? They didn't go over too well. A lot of them, you know, they didn't like that. They brushed me off. But Jeremy, listen, be like Jeremy. Be like Jeremy. Jeremy came back, and he was one of the ones, along with Lee Brown, and he just said, Chris, he said, I know you shared your heart, 
But he said, have you ever read Jeremiah 17, verse 9? What does that tell us? The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? I hope that there's one thing since the end of March that I've been here that I've tried to encourage you and still you guys. When you take verses like that, keep reading. Because what we get the answer, we get the solution in verse 10. Look with me at verse 10. I, the Lord, search the heart and test the mind to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his deeds. It is the Lord that searches the heart and tests the mind. It is the Lord that restores our souls. Seek him. Last nugget I want you to think about today as we leave is this. Judah Smith said it so beautifully. Ultimately, the stability and security and outcome of our souls needs to be in the hands of someone who is bigger than our souls and greater than our turmoil. Friends, the reason we're preaching and teaching through Psalm 3 is because the Lord restores your soul. You ain't going to go down to the bookstore in the self-help section. That's not going to restore your soul. Going to the shrink isn't going to restore your soul, but it's seeking God. And as we talked about this morning, it's getting as low as you can, as often as you can. Getting before him and being open and saying, Lord, I realize that I am broken. I realize that my soul is fragmented, that it is scattered. Restore my soul. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for your word. Lord, I thank you for the truths of your word. Father, I thank you for those men and women here today who have come, Lord, and they are, they are living out your word day in and day out, Lord, that we can't help but share what we've seen and heard. And so, Father, I thank you for those that have been seeking you. I thank you for the conversations that they've been having. Lord, I thank you for the new faces. I thank you for the smiles that I see, Lord. I thank you for the joy that I see in these hearts of your people. Father, help us to realize that, that we can't fix ourselves, that, that we can't mend our souls. But God, as Judah Smith reminded us, that we need someone who is bigger, who is greater than our turmoil and anything that we may go through. Father, thank you this morning as we talked about our verse of the week that you created him to be sin, to, that news no sin, that we may be made righteous. Father, help us to live in the light of that truth that we've been made whole not by what we can do and that we're a good person and and we do good deeds, but it's because we came to the end of ourselves and we turned. Father, as we sang in the last service, Lord, that when we look to Jesus, when we look full into his wonderful face, that the things of earth grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Father, I pray this week if there's one here that their soul is broken, their soul is scattered, their soul is fragmented. Lord, that they would just get before you, that they cut their phone off, their TV off, and Lord, they would just open their hearts and souls to you. Lord, that you would begin a work in their lives. Lord, when it's said and done, that that it will bring honor and glory to you, Father. It is all about your glory, and I thank you for what you're doing. Father, we thank you for your great love. We ask that you continue to guide us in spirit and truth. For it's in Jesus' holy and precious name I pray. Amen.